Yeah, so we are resuming back on our series on the I am statements that Jesus made. Uh, Since it's been two weeks ago, just a little reminder, Joe spoke about Jesus saying he is the gatekeeper. And something Joe pointed out, which I'm glad he did, it's actually part of a larger context of where Jesus is saying that he is the good shepherd, where he says, I am the good shepherd. And uh, if you have your Bibles, it's on John 10, verse 1 through 18, but if you don't have your Bible, it'll, it'll be up on the screen. Oh, it's a nice picture. Um, anyway, yeah, I'll pick that up. All right, so John 10, verse 1 through 18. This is NIV translation, by the way. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So now Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep knows me. Just as the father knows me, and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So, I don't come from a farm family. You know, honestly, we... uh, I can't remember when's the last time I spoke with someone about shepherds that was not in the biblical context. (laughs) You know, the extent of my knowledge is simply that shepherds take care of sheep. You know, questions like, what do you feed them? Do you play with them? How much time do you spend with them? What kind of sickness? You know, all these other details that uh, I honestly just don't think about. It's like, oh, they take care of sheep, and that's it. And then it's like, okay, yeah, what else happens? So... Yeah, I can elaborate that. And so when I first read this passage, I see Jesus. He's carrying a lamb. And there's a lot of sheep in the background. That's all I'm getting out of this passage. That's when I first read this passage. And so I'm of the opinion that unless you've worked at a farm or of a farm family, most of us probably don't think beyond they take care of sheep. So to have a better understanding... You know, I think it's good to just review um, what people back then thought of shepherds. But before we go there, let's let's just let me have some fun here. Uh, what word comes to mind when you think of the word shepherd? I just need two two words or two volunteers. I mean, <laughs> that's actually two words, but okay. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So. Dirty. Okay. 
I'd say that's probably about the extent of our shepherd knowledge. Yeah, it's not much. I don't. Yeah, so let me let me share some of the perceptions I had when I first. So this is from the movie Babe. It's about a pig. The pig is Babe, and he becomes a shepherding animal, which is interesting. It's a children's film, so you know, bear with me. I saw this film and. This gentleman, Arthur, is his name. He was my first shepherd, I guess. Like, this is a gentleman. He's dressed up in this wool suit. Looks nice, sometimes flannel. And he's with his sheep. You know, this is the earliest exposure I had. And, uh, yeah. Next image. This is more or less what shepherds look like today. They're not too far from, I guess, the stereotypes. And just in case there are female <laughs> shepherds, I wasn't sure if anyone was even wondering about that. But hey, the film portrayals are pretty accurate at least. Next one. And I decided to have some fun. Other use of shepherds. That, that is indeed Reese, actually. She is awesome. She guards the house up until you feed her peanut butter. So please be careful about that, Joe. That's a German shepherd. I couldn't find a picture of Sage, so that's supposed to represent Sage. Sage is actually a Belgian Malinois or Belgian shepherd. Take your pick. And that there is a shepherd's pie that Reese is looking at. I don't know why they call it shepherd's pie, but it's... It's like Reese is looking at the shepherd's oh. pie. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it looks good. But yeah, I don't know why it's called shepherd's pie, but those are some other contemporary use of the word shepherd. Next image. So if you've attended church for any period of time or at least visited a church service during Christmas, this is probably what you'd be familiar with. Three shepherds uh, visiting baby Jesus. Now obviously what they're wearing is very different from what we see everyone else wearing. This happened, you know, first of all, 2,000 some years ago, and this is happening in the ancient Near East, which is like modern day Jordan. Israel, just that part of the world, so Palestine actually. Yeah. Thanks. And so in the Bible, here are just some exam some actual biblical figures who were also shepherds. And uh, interestingly, when I was uh, looking this up, I realized, wow, it is explicitly written that Rachel was also a shepherd. So, yeah, if people were wondering, there were female shepherds back then also. You just don't hear about them as much for some reason. That's a picture of. Abel, about to offer his firstborn lamb to God as an offering. And then that's David playing on the harp with his sheep. So, anyhow. So I share all that to say, you know, this, this is kind of our, more or less the kind of perceptions we have of shepherds. And, uh, yeah, so we're going back to what Jesus said. He is the good shepherd. You know, he tells them, I am the good shepherd. I think it's good to consider what the Jews were thinking when they hear the word shepherd. And by the way, anytime you read a passage that either doesn't make sense, it's always good to check the context. So it's always good to do that. So, yeah. Uh, so most of the Old Testament took place in the ancient Near East, which again is uh, more or less current day, Israel, Palestine, Jordan, just that part of the, part of the world. And in, in those days, it was very common for people to do shepherding because, one, there were a lot of sheep. They were everywhere, very plentiful. And that was something people did 
wherever. It was more or less the first occupation everyone would pick up doing. And yes, they did end up uh, farming over time. You know, they kind of need food. There is no centralized farming industry back then, so everyone else did farming. But shepherding was something people still did, regardless of whatever uh, occupation was going on. So, yeah, they would uh, herd the sheep into rivers sometimes, not so much because, you know, just to lead them to rivers, but because they were always grazing. There are a lot of arid areas. There's some grassy areas, but there are most there are mostly arid areas. I visited Jordan, and I was very surprised how little grass there were. And so they're always moving, grazing. And they didn't have bridges, so they had to cross the water. And the shepherds would have to pick up the lamb or the sheep in case they didn't want to cross. So they're always traveling. And whenever nighttime comes, they'd have to um, find like a cave sometimes. Again, they didn't have a farm per se. It's like they're always wandering. So they're out in the wild a lot. And so they go into caves. And you know, it's, it's a place they can rest. It's a place where they can at least protect themselves from wild animals or elsewhere. And uh, yeah, if they find a large plot of land that's a lot of grass around, uh, very likely they'll try to set up you know, a fenced area so that this is a place where uh, the sheep can go and rest. During the day, they go and graze at different place, but then come back, close the gate, and yeah, they are safe inside the fence, at least for the time being. And so the shepherd's always making sure that the flock's together. You know, he does, if any one of them is missing, he's going to know because he spent that much time with them. And, uh, yeah. So sometimes the sheep gets caught in a thicket, gets scratched, gets cut up. And the shepherd, because there are no vets, he's basically the vet for the sheep. And he would bring out olive oil, which apparently that's a common, uh, that's a common oil people use to treat wounds, cuts, other skin conditions. It's interesting. This was a, I was very surprised when I learned this. So, Anyway. Yeah. So anyhow, since they're out in the wild, uh, it was very common for them to protect the sheep from wild animals. You know, Jesus said that wolves sometimes come to attack. Now in, in the Middle East, they have Arabian wolves, different breed, very much still the same threat altogether. They could travel in packs of four or less, and they attack the sheep. Yeah, the shepherd has to fend them off with his rod. I'm trying hard not to talk about the rod, by the way. But, yeah, so he's fending them off, and, yeah, he's protecting the sheep. Yeah, and he's not just protecting, like, a hundred sheep. They're, he's protecting either hundreds or even a thousand-some sheep. So it's a lot. Like, we're talking a whole lot of flocks. And it's very common for them to have hired hands. Because let's face it, when you have that many animals to work with, and all you have is a stick and some food, Maybe some food. It's like, yeah, you kind of need all the help you can get. Now, the reality about hired hands, or you know, part-timers, if you will, yes, they were helpful. They weren't always reliable. You know, like Jesus pointed out, if the animal attacks, they're going to run. You know, they're not vested in the sheep. This is not their flock. They see the wolf, they're thinking for themselves. They're like, I'm going to run because that wolf could attack me. So they were going to abandon the sheep. And yeah, if the sheep gets eaten, who cares? I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. That's basically the attitude of the hired hands, or at least in the extreme sense. And so that's not the case with the shepherd. No, he's like, no, that's my sheep. I'm going to go after it. Anyhow. So yeah, in contrast to the hired hands, the shepherd, yeah, as I mentioned before, he is always with his sheep. And it's not necessarily eight to five. 
it is like 24-7. He goes everywhere. He's taking the sheep with him, carrying them, making sure they are well. He is treating them in case they are sick. And, uh, yeah, he's always looking out, checking them to make sure there are grasslands around. Yeah, he's always moving. So it's a lot of work, and uh, it's no surprise, really, that at some point the sheep's going to recognize them. I mean, they're, again, they're, like, sleeping together half the time in, on the same pasture land. So, yeah, the sheep is going to recognize the shepherd's voice. Uh, and it's not just that. The interesting thing is, yeah, he will notice who's missing, which sheep is missing. He's going to remember certain qualities of this sheep that most people wouldn't wonder. Yeah, he cares a lot with each of the individual sheep. Anyhow, so that would be in summary of shepherds in the Old Testament. Now, a little noteworthy point I want to uh, mention. It's referring to a certain biblical figure. One, because he single-handedly took down a giant, and he shares the same name as me. Yes. So, during King Saul's reign, when Israel was at war with the Philistines, uh, David is approaching King Saul, you know, figuring what's the situation. And King Saul has basically... Uh, openly shared his doubts of David's capability against Goliath. At this point, David has not been trained in the military, nothing. Up to this point, he's always been a shepherd. So this is what David responds, and this comes from 1 Samuel 17, by the way. I don't think I have it up, but here's what David responds with. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, he's talking about Goliath, by the way, uh, will be like one of them, because he has defied, uh, defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. All right, I want to put aside the fact about him taking down Goliath. I just want to highlight, David apparently had the boldness to take down a lion or a bear when it's attacking the sheep. Me personally, now, you know, I try to go to the gym. I'm not exactly the most fit person, <laughs> but I cannot imagine myself reaching the point where I would, you know, take on a bear, okay? I don't know if he was using a slingshot or a rod, whatever, I'm just like, wow, I can't, I can't imagine that. So anyway, you can call that crazy if you want, but that is David laying his life down for his sheep. Anyhow, I share all this to say that in 2,000 years ago, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, this is the kind of understanding that the people of God at that time would have remembered, would have understood. Yeah, I just shared a lot about shepherds, way more than probably most of us would care to think I guess now this is this might not be your first time hearing about shepherds I hope it confirms a lot of what you already knew and you know again this might be your first time now so I'm going to ask you this when you hear Jesus saying I am the good shepherd what comes to mind what does that mean to you now keep in mind that in Jesus illustration we are the sheep he is referring to you know, the sheep that may get hungry or thirsty, the sheep that may get sick, 
that gets a little cut up and needs, needs some health medical care. The sheep that gets attacked and gets separated from the rest of the flock. The sheep that calls out to anyone who might hear its voice. So I'm going to ask again, what comes to mind when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd? Now, let's consider probably how the Jews might interpret this now that we're up to speed of what the Jews would have understood. Yeah, provisions. So let's consider again. Now, Jesus is the good shepherd. And he is saying to them that he's going to lead the people. That he's going to make sure they're actually fed well. You know, and it's not just physical hunger, but he can feed their spiritual hunger. You know, this is this is the kind of where the spiritual restless, where for most of us we are either spending it on I don't know relationships, material wealth, success, food. Uh, yeah, you, the list goes on. But this void that we try to satiate, but it essentially just it, it's there. Jesus is saying he can feed, he can satiate that. He can also lead you into new places. I mentioned before that a shepherd would carry the sheep over rivers, carry them through the hard places, but specifically to go into this new place. Why? Because, frankly, if you're staying where you are now, you're going to be starving. There is nothing where you are now. That's why Jesus is trying to lead people into new places. And that's what he's telling them. Lead you to new places. Where you are now, you're going to be starving if you're not starving right now. And by the way, major historical reference uh, if you go remember Exodus, God has led his people out of Egypt through the wilderness, and they sure complained a lot, but through the wilderness and into the promised land. This is a historical moment that any Jew would still remember. Yeah, God also is saying, or Jesus is saying, yeah, if anyone is sick or hurting, I will heal them. You know, I'm going to treat them. Protection, yeah, Jesus will protect you from attackers. Now, even if there is an attack that does scatter the flock, if you are out wandering, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to go find you. If you're lost, don't worry, I will go find you. If you're stuck, I'm going to help you get out. And then I mentioned justice uh, in part because I found this scripture and I thought, this was a pretty interesting. It comes from Ezekiel 34, verse 17 to 22. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddled with your feet therefore this is what the sovereign lord says to them see i myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you shove with flank and shoulder butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away i will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered i will judge between one sheep and another so I probably forgot to mention this part, but not only does a shepherd take care of his sheep, but if the sheep are not getting along well or being aggressive, he's going to get in there and separate them. He's going to do something because he cannot let anyone hurt his sheep, and that includes any sheep of his own. 
And I believe this is somewhat similar to a commandment Jesus has shared before, the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not, I don't think Jesus is kidding around when he mentioned that being his second greatest commandment. You know, I believe we hear this in school. Do unto others as you would, uh, as you would them ha- or have them do unto you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. You know, some people might not get the, get the rod on the spot, but Jesus here is saying, like, I'm going to call them to account. They're going to be held accountable. And so Jesus is basically saying, like, these people are not going to get away forever. Justice will be served. And so for those who have been oppressed, which a lot of the Jews were at that point, uh, yeah, for anyone who feels they've been ill-treated, been treated unjustly, this is good news. Now, you know, some of them may have been on both sides. They were oppressed, but they have also oppressed others. Uh, I can at least speak for myself. I know I've been on both sides of that. So, anyhow. Now, this was, you know, when they heard about the Messiah coming into their lives, this was probably like 500 some years ago prior. And so it's a long time to wait. But now that Jesus has stepped in, he's now telling them, I am that good shepherd. I am the one that you have been waiting for. You know, I am here to take care of the sheep. I'm here to protect them, to care for them, to feed them, and to lead them well. And yeah, Jesus has spent a lot of time with his people, and so he's telling them, I'm going to know whose voice is who. I will recognize them. I know each an individual person. So based on what the Jews back then were familiar with, this is probably how they might have interpreted Jesus' words when they heard him say, I am the good shepherd. Now, what about us? When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, what comes to mind? What does it mean to you? Yeah, based on what uh, Jesus, or based on what it meant to the people back then, uh, I'll share some of my thoughts, and probably for time's sake, I'll only mention a few. Yeah, so Jesus will saturate your hunger and thirst. Now, Again, I know, at least for some of us, we may have binge-watched Hulu, Netflix, whatever entertainment. Maybe it's relationships. You know, you like to be in a dating relationship, but for whatever reason, it's not fulfilling you in a certain way. Uh, Yeah, there's this hunger that's just not being satiated. So, yeah, again, he's saying, I can feed that. I can satiate that hunger. Now, if it's a physical sense, you know, whether it's budget-wise, food-wise, uh, yeah, God's telling you, yeah, I can take care of that. And by the way, just to mention about, I know we talked about mission trips. If if the fear of not raising your full budget is a factor, but yet you're feeling like God is leading you into that, I, I will go ahead and tell you right now, I've seen God provided in crazy ways. In fact, in ways where I'm like, God... If that had been any sooner, that would have been great. But anyway, yeah, I, I know. I've seen that happen. So, yeah, if God's trying to lead you into places, he will make sure you're provided. By the way, please don't forget to do the mission trip app pre-apps. Yeah, so Jesus will lead you into uh, into new places, but he's going to have to take you through the hard places. Now, you know, this can be in the physical sense where you know, you're going to a new place. You're potentially moving. Maybe it's missions. 
and you know you're just not sure and God is possibly communicating to you about it like this is where I want you to take you now it's uncomfortable but he's extending his hand and he's going to cure you it's just a matter of you hanging on to him why would he take you there because in God's eyes where you are right now is not where you should stay you need to move if you want to grow if you want to really be nurtured well you can't stay where you are you're going to be starving spiritually By the way, if you're seriously thinking about doing missions in the long run, we do have our CMIT program, Chi Alpha. Anyhow, shameless plug. So maybe it's not so much of an actual physical location. It's probably just more spiritual. And the physical location is just part of the process. This can look something as simple as walking through the arboretum, you know, just being quiet and listening for God's voice. This can look like God trying to lead you into maybe past areas in your heart that you didn't want to visit just for personal reason because it's, it's just not pretty and God wants to lead you through that it could be maybe it's leading you to family group or life group I say this not, not necessarily to be funny but we've actually had students come to Chi Alpha because they felt like you know, for some reason they felt like they had to be here I'm going by what they tell me, by the way. I'm not making this up. They would come, they sit through, you know, enjoy worship, and then, like, after we're done, they would come up to tell one of the staff, I'm really glad I came. I felt like I got something out of it. And, you know, I'm like, that's great. I don't think I saw them again. So I don't know what God did with them. I'm just going by what they told me. Like, clearly they got something. So I'm just saying, it has happened. The other location that could be, you know, where God wants to lead you, we have our winter conference coming up, so there's salt. Please consider coming that. More details to come on that. And, oh, mission trips, I guess, does fall under this since you're not really moving. God, I've heard many stories of God doing something amazing in students, so worth mentioning. If you haven't noticed, we definitely care a lot about missions because we believe God cares about missions, so anyhow. Yeah, and then Jesus wants to heal you. Jesus will heal you, actually. Now, some of you know that I have asked for prayers for my eyes to get healed, and I know some people might laugh just because they think I'm being ridiculous or unrealistic. But here's the thing. like I've actually heard testimonies of people getting physically healed. In fact, it was in a Kaiapa setting. Uh, let me share this. So I was speaking with one of the students, and you know, it had a bubbly personality. <coughs> But one of the health problems that she had was, uh, I don't remember, IBS, irritable syndrome? IBS. She, there were a lot of food she could not eat or else she'd have a bad reaction. Which, by the way, my heart breaks for anyone with that because I love to eat and I think I would die if I had that. So anyway, yeah, she was struggling with that. But the spiritual side was that she was also dealing with unforgiveness. And... Uh, Eventually, God really convicted on her heart to, like, really deal with that. Like, to actually, you know, you have this problem. You can't just let this fester. You need to do something or it's going to take her, or it's really going to take over you. And so she was convicted. She took it before the Lord, asked for forgiveness, repented, and forgave whomever she needed to forgive. I don't know if she actually reconnected with, you know, the people that was involved. But, you know, she did forgive. And interestingly, that actually led to her getting healed. And so now she can eat anything. 
which I rejoice with her. I'm not, yeah, I, yeah, I do. Now, I'm not saying that all sickness comes because of unforgiveness and such. You know, Jesus did say that that certain blind man, he is not blind because of certain past sin. That's, you know, it was not sin-related. So not all sickness are sin-rooted, but some stuff like unforgiveness, that can be a cause for it. I can't prove this with science, but I've, there's some testimony. So that's kind of the spiritual aspect of the healing also. Also less stress on people, so it's really worth considering. I think that's all I'll touch on. But anyhow, so those are the things that Jesus is saying. I can provide for you. I'm going to lead you to a new place, and it's a good place. It's probably going to be through a hard place, but it's a good place, and it's for your good. And then he wants to heal you. I want to heal you. You're hurt. Let me help you. So yeah, I'll just stop there again because again, we're somewhat running short on time and when I was preparing this message I got kind of carried away as you probably noticed. <clears throat> yeah, so at this point, I don't know what comes to mind what, what this means to you. You know, this is probably your first time even considering about asking Jesus to be your shepherd. I don't know. If that is what you're considering, I do encourage you please talk with your friends whoever invited you. Talk with a life group leader. Talk with the staff. Please talk to us. We would be happy to pray with you just what that would look like. So, yeah. And uh, I'd like to bring this to a close with Psalm 23. It's a well-known, it is written by a well-known biblical shepherd, David again. I am definitely not the most humble person, but hey, David's great. So, yeah, he wrote this actually, and I'm still impressed by the amount of trust he is communicating in the psalm. So. We can all read along if you like. I have it on the, on the board. Yeah, so. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.